everybody. Welcome to the daily objective to our uh, f fifth and final, fourth or fifth, final, and final for this trip, live episode of the daily objective. And what a week it's been, I gotta tell you, um, but uh, no time to sit here and navel gaze. We got some science to talk about. If you're watching us at home on the internet, please uh, super chat some of your questions to us, unless you like seeing me very uncomfortable trying to come up with scientific questions. <laughs> but even if you do like seeing me uncomfortable, please super chat your scientific questions, because I am here for, I don't know, this is one of the lonelier Thursday Collective episodes we've done. There are two of us. It was almost going to be a solo episode, which would be a very lonely so, uh, Thursday Collective, but nonetheless, here we are with our resident astrophysicist, the doctor. Amanda Maxim. All right, I'm not that kind of a doctor. <laughs> all right. You're all clapping because you think she's that kind of doctor, but she's not. I'm she's, not. She's... Don't confuse it. What is your doctorate in? Like stars in space? <laughs> yeah, physics. Physics. Astrophysics. That's a, that's a real subject. That's not, you know, like, like medicine. gardening. Medi yeah, medicine. That's not even... Okay, anyway. All right, uh, let's get right into this. Uh, first off, I'll ask a question because, Great. you know, I got one. You're curious? Okay, how big is the universe? Uh, how big is the universe? That's a good question. Um, so the, the distance across the universe is about 14 billion light years. It's also the age of the universe. It's the furthest that we could see. Um, so That's as far as we can see, but maybe it goes much farther, right? It, or no? It's possible, but... Um, we think the universe began from a, a Big Bang, and it's been expanding since then. It's had enough time to expand for about 14 billion years. So. Is the Big Bang as like certain as, let's say, the theory of evolution, or is the Big Bang still a little bit more ambiguous, in your opinion? I, th I know this is a big question, for, especially for objectivists, but I don't think there's any, or at least very little uncertainty, in, <laughs> at least in the scientific community, that... Yeah, there's a lot of evidence that the Big Bang happened. I used to really wonder about that and worry about that and think, oh, it might be tied with some sort of mystical view of the universe because it, it has this idea of the, sort of a beginning, beginning of the universe. Genesis. And I don't think, like, it's a reasonable question to ask, like, what happened before that? Um, so that's not off limits for, for me, at least, to be able to ask those questions. Um, but I saw a lecture by Sean Carroll, and he really like answered all my questions he he went one after another like here's the five reasons why um why we think the big bang was real and he went through and he's like okay so here's the first reason but if you don't buy that reason here's the second one and by the by the fifth round i was like okay yes <laughs> okay happen. okay um now when you say 14 billion million or like mi billion 14 billion light years yeah does that mean you're going at the speed of light yeah. For 14 billion years, and that's how long it takes to go from like one end of the universe to the other. Something like that's that. Big. That's big. That's, that's a lot, a lot of traveling. I yeah. mean, that's uh, a big distance. It's pretty cool. It's like there's a whole universe of possibilities out there. You know? I can't begin to contemplate how much that is. The speed of light, not for a day, not for a year, 14 billion years. Okay. Can we just like dwell on that for the rest of the episode? We can dwell on that, and but we don't. I'm, but I'm hoping not. that uh, I have my facts straight too. So hopefully, if I don't, someone will super chat. You're wrong. Hopefully. Thank um, you. Much now, okay, back to the not back to, but let's jump over to the super chat. We got one from Mark Pellegrino's left sock. Oh, 
Big fans. It's a good sock. Yeah, he says he or she says, uh, "Are we going to discuss string theory?" <laughs> uh, we are not <laughs> going to discuss string theory. I mean, do you? Is that like it, an invitation to discuss? I mean, theory? as far as I know, and I, I I have no pretense at expertise in science <laughs> or anything, but. Um, it, to me, it just seems like kind of everything that could go wrong went wrong, and someone came up with string theory. Am I, am I speaking above my pay grade? Um, no, like honestly, I don't. I was really interested in graduate school. I was like super excited to take my first quantum mechanics class. Like the secrets of the universe are going to be revealed to me. I'm going to figure out this, like this quantum world and the string theory thing and all of it. And it turned out just to be really uninteresting to me. Uh, so. I think string theory is one of those, I don't know, it sounds like a theoretical thing. You should ask a string theorist. Okay. Is Unless that... you want to talk about, like, you know, cat's cradle. Like, that's involved string. Is that a serious statement? I can't <laughs> tell right now. What's cat's cradle? Is uh, it... It's the, the game that you play with the, the string that you wrap around and someone else takes it and makes another form. It's mathematical topology. Nice. It's interesting. Okay. Uh, so is string theory related to quantum mechanics? I don't know, probably it's, uh, I don't know, dimensions of the universe or something when it, things are small. I, I have no idea. Well, neither do I. Okay, here's a question from the audience. Uh, if the Earth is rotating, okay. and that's a big if, I'm kidding. Uh, if the Earth is rotating, why then do things fall each in their original place if you can throw them in the air? Yeah, if you throw them in the air, yeah. Why, why don't they land, like, why doesn't the Earth rotate so it lands somewhere else? Um, that's a good question. And I, I don't know my facts wrong, but I think this is a question that uh, Aristotle asked. Like, if you think about an archer, right, and they shoot an arrow straight up into the sky, um, where does it land? Where does it come back down? And I think you all know the answer is that it comes right back down, you know, to where it went up here and it comes right back down. And then, like, I think it was Aristotle, but he, anyway, whoever it was said, well, if that's the case, then it must mean that the Earth doesn't rotate, right? Um, but actually, I think he was wrong about that because it doesn't show, yeah, you can't make that kind of a conclusion from that, um, from that kind of a thought, from that kind of an experiment. And the reason is because as the archer is shooting the arrow, the archer is on the Earth and is rotating and so with the Earth, with and it. so the, the arrow is also moving with the Earth, and so when it gets shot, it, like, right. it just doesn't give you that information, that whether or not the Earth is turning, that's not the experiment that's going to solve the question. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like if, I throw, if, I drop, if I'm in a moving car and I drop something out, why doesn't it fall exactly at the spot where I dropped it? Because you're moving when you drop it, and exactly. it's moving as you drop it. Exactly. Okay, um, another question from the same person. What is the square root of negative one? Um, the square root of negative one is the number, it's an imaginary number called i, uh, which I think is pretty cool that mathematicians uh, invented this new math to be able to, I don't know, explain things like that. So it's a complex, uh, complex number. i is a really cool number. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the word I was banned from the, the uh, dystopian, I'm not going to say dystopian, that's too, um, that's too extravagant to even call the society an anthem, the book Anthem, a dystopia. It's just a lack of civilization, it's just, it's just absolute pathetic, uh, you know, degradation and, 
and misery and stagnation, and they banned the word I, right? You, you, nobody, it's just, yeah. just only we. Only we, so I guess they had no imagination either. Right. <laughs> no and that has nothing to okay, do with it. Okay, that's a horrible math numbers. joke, and one person is laughing, and I think he's into math. Thank Sorry. you, sir. All right, back to the Super Chats, and they are coming in. Guys, uh, we really appreciate the support. Our goal today is uh, $600 per person. We'll get there, believe me. All right, Jonathan with $49.99. Thank you, Jonathan Honig. We're all big fans. He says, what's been the most interesting part of your European trip? What strides in objectivism are, is objectivism making over there? Also, is Rucka's Nucka's rational? Okay, so none of those questions has to do with, with, with science. So I don't know why you think you could just dangle $50 in front of us and we will just break the format, Jonathan. Um, but um, it's, uh, the interesting part is that the immigrants that you know people decry, like, oh, they're so bad. Well, let's just say they brought wonderful food, clearly, to an otherwise stale uh, culinary culture, in my understanding. So thank you to them. Uh, what strides is objectivism making? You, you're looking at it. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> and is Rucka's Nucka's rational? Uh, I think that would be something to uh, survey them each individually. But I would, I would certainly hope so. Okay. Uh, well, now let's take a, a real question from the audience. <laughs> how relevant is Einstein's theories? How relevant? Yes, how relevant. Uh, how relevant? I'm not sure how to interpret that at relevant. Um, like they're real. So the thing about relativity um, is that we don't observe it in our daily lives because it either requires really big masses, really violent um, events or things that are moving very fast, and we're kind of small and slow <laughs> compared to things and other things in the universe. Um, so most of the time, not at all relevant to to you in your life, although there are exceptions to that. Like, um, for example, the global positioning system satellites, they have to take relativity into account because they, um, there's two effects. One is that they, the, when you travel at a, I don't know, a high velocity or a higher velocity, time acts differently. It moves slower or faster. So that's one effect. And the other is their, your distance, um, how high you are in a gravitational field also affects the clock, like what your clock reads. And you've got both of those effects on the satellites, and we want global positioning to be very, very accurate, so you have to take that into account. Is it a uniquely objectivist perspective that time is motion? Uh, that time is motion. Well, wait, explain that. What does that mean? Like, do other philosophies say the same thing? Do other, does, does Einstein think time is motion when he, said, when he observes that time acts differently when you're moving at a certain speed? Um, I, don't, I don't know. I need to ask him. I wonder if he's around. Mm. Um, but it, I think he would say that space and time are, like, they're entwined, like they're part of the same matrix of stuff. So I'm not sure if he would have an opinion or what he would say about whether time is motion or not. So what do you mean by that? And that, like, you have to have... Um, like movement between events in order to define a time? That could be true. We'll come back to it. I was just totally curious. Well, I'm words. just curious. Like, time is motion. When, when I hear that from Ayn Rand, I think, whoa, oh my god, another 
point of brilliance from Rand. But as far as I know, someone else, like other other thinkers, also say that time is motion. So that's kind of something I'm wondering about. I thought maybe maybe. Sorry. You, you, um, oh. Okay. Um, the um, it, do you know? Can you speak to any uh, tension between Einstein and ob objectivism? If you're comfortable answering. Uh, tension between Einstein and objectivism. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I don't think I have any idea. I think people get concerned when, whenever you make broad statements that involve like that touch on what we would consider to be axioms. And that can be a problem, or if you, um, you know, if it's somehow, I don't know, I have no idea. Okay. I think also I said time is motion. I meant to say time is the measurement of motion. I just heard this voice in my head. I know it couldn't have been the audience speaking without raising their hand. Um, okay, back to the super chats. Louise asks, what are the most important questions in science right now? Most important questions in science. I don't know, but I can tell you what the most fun questions in science are. Mm -hmm. um, so some, one of the questions that I have is, um, so one of the problems, not a problem, but one of the facts about the universe is that it's really, really big. And like, for example, if you wanted to travel to the nearest star, Alpha Centauri, it would, it's, four, it's like 4.2 light years away. So even if you were a photon, like traveling at the speed of light, it would still take you four years to get there. Um, and that's kind of a bummer, right? I mean, imagine even just having, trying to have a conversation with someone over there. Um, you, you'd say hello, and four years later they'd get the hello, and then they would reply, and eight years has gone by, and, and you finally get a hello back. Um, so the chances that we can travel anywhere, I don't know, it just seems impossible, at least with our current technology. Um, we, don't, we can't travel anywhere near the speed of light. So, wouldn't it be cool if you could figure out a way to do that, right? In a way to, I don't know, create gravity or something like that in order to be able to, I don't know, to move uh, at a faster rate through, through, this, through space and time. So that would be cool. What's an unanswered question? I don't know. That's like the funnest question that I like to think about. Cool. Okay. Let's take another question from, from the audience. Oh, this great handwriting. I think this is uh, our friend from the internet. Um, go ahead, shout, out, shout it out if you want to remind your name. You don't have to. Fabian. I don't, you don't even have to tell me. All right. Um, in his hand, in, it's a very good cursive handwriting. I just wish I could read it. To, quote, no, is, quote, physics envy a real thing? Or is it more of a contrarian meme? Physics envy? Yeah. As in, like, I'm envious that uh, someone is a physicist? Or, here's what I'm thinking. Okay. Physics is like a cold and certain sign. Like, nobody, you can't mess with physics the way you can mess with, like, psychology, right? Like, people have turned psychology, there's like 10,000 different schools of psychology. What? What, what point am I trying to make here? It's like physics is like the science of sciences. Although all sciences should be as certain and as clear and as clean as physics, physics is the one that I guess seems most difficult to tamper with. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, because you're, I mean, so that's not always true when people are talking about theories, but in a way that's, 
I don't see it as all bad. It's healthy, right? It's like you got to have a little bit of imagination or like trying to figure out what's what's the next thing. Uh, and yeah, you're welcome to make up whatever you like and test it out and see whether it works. But yeah, physics is cool in that way. That's that reality is the final judge. And if you do it well, and if you really are a, sci a scientist and think scientifically, you will figure it out whether or not you're right or wrong. Um, I suppose that's also true in psychology and all the other fields as well. Uh, but it's maybe harder to to be certain in some ways. It's. Uh, I think I'm. I'm wondering if the other other departments have been corrupted by bad philosophy. You know, whereas physics maybe is um, is beholden to the law of identity in a way that makes it very difficult to um, mess up other sciences maybe are are more a little bit less that way but i can't think of any examples to ar ar articulate this point yeah but think about the flip side where if you're doing an experiment um okay so for example i met a really cool scientist um, and what he did was taste testing right so he would taste te have people come in and taste tomatoes and he wanted to figure out like scientifically which are the best <laughs> which is the best tomato like which are people actually really like and this is it's a really really difficult question to answer or like difficult data to to take because you have all sorts of other factors you know um like a taste test you want people to not know what it is that they're they're eating and he said even certain things like would mess up his data like if you oh a tomato you want to slice it um what like not hamburger style because then you know people are eating different parts of the tomato and that's messing up your experiment um even like on a cherry tomato some i don't know one of the one of his assistants or something forgot to remove the little green thing from the top which is called a calyx by the way but uh and you couldn't you know he was like oh the data's the data's it's corrupt it's uh because you know the perception that there's something green on there is going to change how it you know people perceive that it tastes uh so there's something really exciting about that too, right? Is that the data is really difficult to get right. And there are people that love to think about those problems is how do I get the cleanest data possible um, given that there are all these other factors that I, need to, that I need to take care of because it's like a psychology experiment or a taste test. Um, yeah, so someone's gotta find that exciting, right? So I don't think it's something to, I don't know, to frown upon. It's, it's something that's it's kind of awesome in its own right. Yeah. Uh, another, I guess uh, another way that I was thinking uh, physics envy is a thing like, okay, when it comes to ethics, most people don't see that as an actual, like, objective science. Oh. Or just searching for meaning in life. Most thinkers, most scholars, they, they see this as like, as kind of extra scientific, so to speak, like it's super scientific, like it's not part of actual science, it's more like supplementary, it's something, because, you know, they don't have a philosophy like objectivism, which integrates ethics with, you know, the epistemology of observing, you know, rationally observing reality, like they see it, ethics, let's say, as a separate thing, or just looking for meaning in life as a separate thing from science, so maybe those, in that respect, there's like physics envy, like, oh, those physicists are so lucky, they get to just be scientists without uh, having all these different, uh, you know. <laughs> maybe my first, first person to say is like, F those guys, right? Um, because, well, think about it this way, so what attracted me to obje objectivism is that I always, like from a young age, I just thought, I'm, I'm probably going to be a scientist, uh, I love that method of thinking, what I like about it is that you can you can get to the right answer. And I thought in philosophy, 
Um, yeah, it's just whoever argues the best, and that's who wins the argument, but there's not really a way to determine what's right or what's wrong. Uh, and then I read the, the introduction to the virtue of selfishness, and I saw how scientific it was in its approach and its layout, and that was it. I was hooked. And, and so that's it's good, right? Anyone who wants to think scientifically, they'll resonate with that as soon as they, as soon as they begin to read. So Yeah. All right, uh, back to the super chats. Really, really loving these super chats, guys. Keep it coming. Keep it going. All right, Shazbot asks, is there a restaurant at the end of the universe? Yes. There is? I think so. Because we've seen it, according <laughs> to you, right? Uh, or yeah, we... well, I think he's probably referring to the Douglas Adams um, novel, right? Okay, what is the name of the restaurant at the end of the universe? I don't know. Denny's. I don't remember. Denny's. It's a I Denny's. I yeah. Or Perkins. It's probably, in all likelihood, it's a McDonald's. They, well, they're everywhere. No, it's got to be someplace that serves breakfast 24 hours a day. Mm, right, because they got every time zone yeah, traveling like, through. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Shazbot, for that very serious question. Uh, Sammy is lost again, asks, what would happen if the Earth started rotating backwards? <laughs> what would happen? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well... It would have to stop first and then turn around the other way. Um, what right. would happen? I, I don't know. Like the stars would go in the opposite direction. <laughs> um, would it like affect the weather or like what? Like <laughs> yeah, if it suddenly okay, if it started suddenly to move that direction, it would yeah, the weather would be affected. Like the clouds would you know like if you think about it if you're swirling your coffee cup or your the cream in your coffee and then mm -hmm. or you ever do play that game where you have a bunch of kids in the pool and you all go around and around and try to create the tidal wave right and then you turn and try to go the other you've never played this game sorry you will okay i will <laughs> i'm gonna head over to the kids it. pool after this <laughs> um yeah so the the clouds will have to re you know they'll reorient themselves and interact with the surface of the earth in a different way um yeah, things would even out eventually. What do you think that would do to us living on Earth if, if that happened? So it's like suddenly everything would feel so wrong and we can't put our finger on it. Like, what happened? <laughs> Why am I so, like, freaked out right now, I would be asking. <laughs> yeah, maybe. You probably wouldn't notice, actually. If it, if it happened like this, we just... Suddenly we're rotating the, the other way. And so we would just say, like, why is it getting earlier in the day suddenly? Like, why is the sun moving uh, east? Wait, yes. <laughs> Daytime went backwards suddenly. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You feel the earth rotating right now? I don't. Yeah, that's what I thought. All right. Um, okay, another super chat. Bonnie asks, is there a short answer to how scientists discovered the distance of 14 billion light years? No. A short answer. Or an abbreviated um, answer. I don't know. So what can I say about that? The... I don't know. Like, I can talk about the reasons why we think the Big Bang is real. Yes. Or at least just one reason. There's lots of reasons. But um, one reason is that if you, you look out into the, into the universe at different galaxies... Um, what you notice, or this is what Hubble observed, is that um, galaxies are all, with few exceptions, moving away from us. Um, the exceptions are the, the galaxies that are very close to us, that are gravitationally bound to us. All the other galaxies in the universe are moving away from us. And the further away they are from us, the faster they're moving away from us. And so 
the idea, I mean, it doesn't take much now to come up with a Big Bang, right? It's if you were to rewind the, like, the videotape backwards, like everything's moving away from us, you rewind the tape, everything's getting closer and closer together, right? And it's eventually all on top of everything else. Um, and so that's one reason why we think the Big Bang is, is real and that it happened. Uh, it's a pretty compelling piece of evidence, but not the only one. Not the only one. Okay. Uh, one last written question from the audience here, and if any of you want to write down another one on a piece of paper and send it up here, uh, please do so. What is wrong with the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics? Uh, I think that's Copenhagen. Is that how the city is pronounced? <laughs> I've always said Copenhagen. I'm just joking. Oh, you're kidding. Uh, no, that's actually, no, that's not a joke. Is, that's how you pronounce it, right? I evidently said, so. I mean, From there? you're the scientist. You're the doctor. <laughs> I'm just, we say Copenhagen because okay. we're Americans. Oh. Um, I have no idea what's wrong with it. Sure, they screwed up somehow. Okay. <laughs> Just be blank, Copenhagen. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jonathan Honig in the super chat asks Is time in the universe or is the universe in time? It's like, am I late for my dinner date or is my dinner date late for me? I think it's the first one. If you're late for the. <laughs> well, okay, how about this? When you're standing in line, yeah. are you in the line or are you the line? It, like, if you have your head chopped off, is it your head was removed from your body, or is it your body was removed from your head? Is it that you have a brain, or is it that you are a brain? <laughs> I got nothing. So, like, I guess, uh, how would, a, like, Rand or an objectivist address this? It would, maybe it would be like, what is the purpose for which you're trying to conceptualize this? Uh, is, that, is that kind of the... Uh... Yeah, it's like, I don't, I don't know what to do with the question, because I'm not sure... Well, yeah, what the relevance is or what the, the purpose of it is. Is the universe in time or is time in the universe? Well, so if... Let's take something a little bit simpler than time. Let's take space. Okay, so space is a relationship between objects, right? So you have to have objects uh, in order to have a distance or a space between them. So you could ask the same question. Is space in the objects or are the objects in space? I don't think either of those really make sense. It's like... Space is a relationship between objects, and that's, I guess, how I would answer it. I don't know. Works for me. Um, all right, another super chat. Enric asks, has there been success to a unified theory of quantum mechanics and general relativity? No. That's, so that's one of the things that scientists really want to do, is to take the, like, the standard model of physics, which includes like, quantum mechanics and like, particles and all that stuff, and try to figure out how does it fit with gravity. Um, yeah, and no one's been successful yet. It's not clear how they're related. Maybe they're just different things. Um, this was one of the questions that I was really excited about when I entered graduate school as well. I was like, I'm gonna, I want to figure out that big question. Um, but it could be that maybe they just are different, different flavors of different things versus let's try to cram them into the same model. Oh boy, we got a lot more questions, um, yes. but super chats must keep pouring in or we will run out of oxygen. Uh, okay, quick, another question for me. What if I go to the farthest object in the universe uh -huh. and then I keep going past it? <laughs> oh, then you've entered the twilight zone. <laughs> That's it? Um, yeah, so this is a, I don't know, we consider that kind of a thought experiment, right? It's like, could you keep going? 
Um, and I think, what does it get at the, the question of, like, is the universe infinite or is it finite in a certain way? So if you were out at the edge of the universe, I'm not sure exactly what that would mean, but say you were out there and you just kept going, there's nothing to stop you unless, you know, there's gravity that's pulling you back or something and you literally can't move forward because the force is too much pulling you back. Um, but no, there's nothing to stop you from going further. Um, there's not like some <laughs> barrier up or something. I mean, that would be kind of crazy, right? Because if the universe is everything, then there can't be a barrier around everything because that implies there's something outside of the universe, but wouldn't that just be the whole... Yeah, that's like saying the universe is indoors. Yeah. <laughs> so if I travel past the edge of the universe, now it's just more universe. Yeah. Like, I'm, uh, now the universe is maybe, slightly more expanse. Maybe you're the one that's creating the universe then at that point because you're making it bigger. At that point... Your very existence and your flight. To paraphrase that movie, uh, Machinima, I have joined not the uh, League of Scientists, but of Gods. <laughs> All right. Uh, written question time. We got uh, another one come in. Thank you. And uh, what do you think of David Harriman's criticism of the Big Bang Theory? Is he correct or is he a flat earther? Well... <laughs> He's a criticism of the Big Bang Theory. I actually, I literally have no idea. I didn't, um, I read his book called The Logical Leap once a lo really long time ago. Um, and that's, okay. It's, it's, all it's, right. it's all right. Another written question. Yeah. Is it true that modern quantum theory posits that one particle can exist in more than one place simultaneously? How does this square with the law of identity? A is A. Um... Yeah, so quantum mechanics, they have some pretty funky interpretations of things. It's like, for example, you heard of the Schrodinger's cat? Maybe. Yeah, so it's um, the idea that, I don't know, so you put a cat in a box, and then you put a cyanide, I don't know, something that would kill the cat, but you hook it up to like, you know, like a hammer that'll either, it'll kill the, you know, it'll fire the cyanide into the box or not, depending upon what the quantum state of, of I don't know, it's dependent on the quantum state of an, of an electron or something like that. And the idea is that um, you don't know what happened um, until you open the box. And then like the wave function collapses and then, then you determine whether the cat is alive or dead. Um, but before you open the box, the cat is both alive and dead at the same time. Uh, yeah, that's silly, right? <laughs> but... In, I can see why people come up with that. It's because like, the mathematics of quantum mechanics is probabilistic. You know, it's dependent upon probabilities. It's like there's a chance that something happens and a chance that something else happens. And, and how do you know what happened if you don't, if you don't measure it? It's like you don't know. Um, and it's, it gets weird, but yeah, it's, it, obviously, well, I don't know, is that obvious, but... It can't violate the law of identity. Right. Otherwise, it's like definitely identity, bullshit. existence, consciousness, and identity, right? Is that one of the acts? Right? Like identity, is that right? Okay, guys, yeah, what speak are the up. Axioms? It's existence, no, consciousness, and identity. Yeah. Identity is, a, is an axiom, right? You can't violate it without using it. All right. So you can't violate identity. So as speaking as a layman, yeah. when I hear about, you know, this Heisenberg principle, is that what that is? Uh, Heisenberg uncertainty principle? Yeah. Um, well, but that's, 
Okay, putting aside Heisenberg, he's just the one name I remember for obvious reasons, Breaking Bad, but, um, but when someone says, you can't identify where the particle is until it moved, therefore it's, it's in two places at once, I would say you're conflating metaphysics with epistemology. Maybe epistemologically, that is in terms of what you know, it's in, quote, two places at once as far as you can narrow it down, but metaphysically, it is not in two contradictory places in the same time, in the same respect. That's kind of my uh, armchair answer to that. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, that sounds right to me, that you, you need to be like, very much grounded in reality, especially if you want to make good headway in, in physics. But I guarantee you that there's a quantum <laughs> mechanics expert out there that would blow your mind <laughs> with a, the, like an explanation of, no, why it's probability all the way down. And, and I am not, like, it's not... So when I say that I don't have an opinion about that or I don't know, that is, like, it's because it would take a lot of time and effort and real actual work um, in order for me to have an opinion. Like, like, even, like, the one that you're saying, like, does it violate an axiom or not? It's like, that's not, like you need to do a lot of studying before you would think you'd be able to even say that. So I'm not an expert in that, in that realm. And mm -hmm. so I don't really have an opinion. And I respect okay. that. And that's the kind of uh, intellectuals that I see like ARI training in, you know, you know, when I, to the extent I, I can see what, who they're training. Like, it's just like every objectivist doesn't need to have the answer to everything, right? It's better to not know rather than speaking about something you don't quite understand. Yeah. I, it's a good thing, although it's not very pleasant to say I don't know all the time. <laughs> it's not pleasant, but, uh, you know, but... I mean, like, all the time. All the time. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. All right, we got another super chat from Shazbot. Shazbot. He says, how close are we to building a nanotech Iron Man suit? Oh, I don't know. Wait, you mean like a tiny one or one made from nanobots or something? He didn't specify. <laughs> Um, a tiny Iron Man suit, like for a something small, like a real oh, one, a real nanotech, one. A big one. I don't know, probably not that far. Actually, don't they have already like the military already has? I mean, things that you can wearable. I would think armor. they can already do that. Yeah. But you know. I mean, don't we see? I he's he's real, right? So. He's in the movies, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Apollo asks in the super chat, "What's your opinion of Neil deGrasse Tyson?" I love Neil deGrasse Tyson. I think he's an incredible human being. One of um, one of my favorite things that he talks about is like, his view of the scientific method. Um, I thought a lot about this, and I think it's not like it's not quite complete. But he says that the scientific method. Actually, so I should ask. When you think of the scientific method, what, what comes to mind when you think about that? Like, what words come to mind, Rucka? Sixth grade science? Yeah, but like, what? Control groups. Control groups, okay, so like something to do with an experiment. What else? Yeah, go ahead. Hypothesis. Falsifiability. Falsifiability, so you can say something is right or wrong. Hypothesis. Yeah, what Theory. else? Theory. Conclusion. Okay, conclusion. <laughs> Report. Experiment. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Uh. What? Observation. Control and observation. Yeah, these are the words that typically come to mind, and if you ever had to memorize it in school, those are the things that'll, that'll come out of your mouth. And I think that that 
like that is unfortunate that those are the words and that is the 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 thing that's things that come to mind because it makes the scientific method sound so horribly boring like it's some dried up piece of old toast that no one wants to like what are you, hypothesis? It's just like, it practically puts me to sleep. And Neil deGrasse Tyson, he takes the scientific method personally. And his, his definition of it is, the scientific method is doing whatever it takes, and then he says whatever it takes twice, because it's important. Whatever it takes to make sure that, um, uh, you, <laughs> I'm totally falling over. Um, whatever it takes. Yeah. Uh, to, that you, you don't, you don't believe something is true when it's actually false. So you do whatever it takes to not fool yourself into thinking that something is true when it's actually false. And you do whatever it takes to not fool yourself into thinking something is false when it's actually true. Whatever it takes. And I love that it, it makes it personal. It's like, whoa, I'm, I'm going out into the world. I don't want to fool myself. It's important to me what's real and what's not real. Um, and I love that. It's way more, way more interesting as a concept than, you know, conclusion, report, hypothesis. Um, it, it, that is practically meaningless to me. Um, I think it doesn't quite capture it because it's not just about whether, you know, we're, we're believing something or, or that something is true or false. It's the scientific method is used for discovery. It's like when you think of the scientific method, you should think of... I don't know, you should think of an explorer. You should think of like Lewis and Clark going out or like Iron Man going out into the universe and trying to discover what's real and what's not real and, um, and trying to, you know, figure things out. That's a heroic thing. And instead we get this, you know, something that's pretty dry. Uh, yeah, so I love that. And just for him saying that alone and giving, giving me that perspective, yeah, he's, he's a rock star. Yeah, I respect him. So he's, a, he's officially an astrophysicist, right? Yeah, he is. I, I know, like, he, he said in an interview once, uh, like, early in his career when he was starting to pursue astrophysics, someone told him, the black community cannot afford for you to be an astrophysicist right now. Like, like there's a shortage of, of these types of professionals. So, like, we cannot afford for someone as smart and capable as you to, to, to study astrophysics, right? Like, that's uh, not as high a calling as... And, uh, and obviously, Neil went the route that he went. And that's, I mean, you know, the power of altruism, you know, the power of collectivism is, you know, we, we face it in life and we need to make a choice. Am I living for me or am I living for some, quote, higher calling that's, that's bigger than my values? So, I, you know, my e eternal respect to DeGrasse Tyson for, yeah. for the life he chose. Yeah, and he's awesome. He's, like, he, you see him, he has the ability to inspire people to... Um, to think more deeply about their lives and about science, and he's awesome. It's funny. Yes. Okay, super chat from Bonnie. For, for Marilene, I think that means the question is on Marilene's behalf. Not sure. Or maybe the question is for Marilene to answer. <laughs> was the alienation of I it, the reason there was no electricity at the beginning of Anthem? Oh, wow, because you would need the letter I to spell it. I think maybe Bonnie meant that to ask this is for Amanda. I don't know. Marilyn, why did she include you? I can't super chat because of pounds and dollars. You can't super chat. After all we've done for you. <laughs> After all. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I understand. Well. Oh, like, yeah. The letter I. Good joke. Good joke. There isn't a...
Keep it going. There is an I. There's no I in electricity. Yes. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> there's no I in team. Yeah. What do you think of that there saying? There is an electricity. Right. But what do you think of that saying? There's no I in team. I mean, I get what they're trying to say there, but it's also it's it's unnecessarily anti-individualistic. Yeah. When they say for that. sure. There's a better way to, to to get that message out there. All right. Uh, from Robert. Nay, sir. And this is the last super chat we've got so far. We're, we're, we're going to read it because that's how we handle super chats. Marilyn asks, "What well, was the elimination of I the reason there was no electricity at the beginning of Anthem? <laughs> All right. Well, I, I believe like, we've already answered that. I feel that. like I'm reliving a moment. But do you agree with the premise of Yeah, so Robert's asking if uh, it, if the world would, like, if you were lost the ego, like, if people couldn't say the word I and they, you know, that was, that was out and we we're pure communists or whatever, socialists, um, would technology also go away or disappear? And I, I think the answer has to be yes. But with the caveat of, like, that stuff takes time, right? And, like, I wouldn't, I don't know. Some people are kind of worried about that, like that we won't have technology in the future because we are, I don't know, we're heading that way, right? But, uh, but it takes a long time for something. It would take a long time for something like that to happen. It takes a long time. So like when uh, Germany or Russia, you know, they, they have a bunch of technology that's been invented and is available, um, and they turn to a very irrational, anti-individualistic philosophy, you know, in the 20th century. It's not like overnight, suddenly they're all going to be like, the, you know, the walking dead, unable to, to be scientific and unable to develop technology or to maintain the technology they have. It takes time for, that, for the rejection of individualism to catch up with the culture. Yeah, and there, I mean, there definitely will be stagnation, but there's also, <clears throat> I'll tell you one story which makes me think of um, how powerful just one individual mind can be in terms of inventing technology. So, like, you know the Russians, they, they got up into space first, right? <laughs> they invented, like, a satellite Sputnik went up there, and, like, um, they had a, a scientist, his name was Khrushchev, and he was really, really smart. Um, and, like, basically on the mind of this one man, they did so much, um, and... Yeah, okay, so they were communists and all that kind of stuff, and that's, that's horrible, but that also makes me think, like, wow, isn't the power of one person's mind amazing? That even given the backdrop of where he was, and that he could invent things. So things will get, you know, things squirt through, and also um, technology is so valuable to people's lives that when, you know, maybe that's one of the things that makes people say no to, you know, things like communism, because it's like, don't take my, my useful tools away. Yeah. I don't want that to happen. Yeah. Or I'm, look at America, look at all the cool stuff they have over there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems to me like the book Anthem is more realistic than 1984, where like the e evil is so potent in 1984, right? They're, they, they've got it all figured out and they're so motivated to this senseless uh, quest for power. It just... 
1984, I think, is completely unrealistic. It's much more likely that it'll all fall apart and uh, everyone will be pulling guns on each other and it'll just... It'll just evolve. Not in. I mean, I, I even think Anthem is probably not meant to be literal because it's even they're even too advanced with all. The, everyone's got a number and all the, and, and it's just it's more likely the, the people eventually would just look like uh, like they looked a hundred thousand years ago, right? Just living very simply. Like a caveman. Like cavemen. Yeah. So yeah, looking forward to that. Um, just kidding. All right, <laughs> Theme Master, thank you for your super chat. No question there. Atlas spoke asks or says the action of objects constitute their attributes uh, action uh, this sounds like an epistemology question right yeah the, the action of objects constitute their attributes so like if an orange if an if an apple is green that's its action that constitutes its attributes I, i'm not sure i understand we should, we should, let's call harry binswanger yes okay and then theme master again with the super chat this time with the question does the YouTube channel Science Click give a good explanation of space-time? I have not seen that, so I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I think it might be presumptuous to think that we are familiar with that channel. But thank you for the super chat, nonetheless, and uh, we will bookmark that for later. Okay, back to a written question from the audience. I'm going to guess, uh, Lord Emperor, we're going over time because are the speakers... Uh, Okay, you can let us know. All right, physics envy. This is, looks uh, like it's going to be more of a comment followed by a question. Physics envy. The idea that non-physical sciences are inappropriately... That, okay, physics envy. The idea that non-physical sciences are inappropriately using physics-like statistics to seem more respectable. You catch that? Okay, so it's the idea that they're... They're like borrowing the prestige of physics or something by using statistics. Um, yeah. Maybe, but like you need statistics in other fields. Well, the easiest uh, example I can think of if this is an example of physics envy is um, when, when physicists say like, don't, don't treat ethics like it's a science. Or, but I know that's not statistical, but just like... No, please don't don't defame science by acting like ethics has something to do with is is on the same caliber as physics. Maybe that's again. I know it's the example I gave before, but um, but I, I would think when it comes to human action, any study of human behavior, maybe their physicists would say, don't treat that like you treat the movement of objects. And they're right. Don't treat that the same way because when it comes to living beings, and let alone living beings with with free will. Uh, you don't want to treat their actions exactly the same way as you treat moving objects. Yeah, but I, I mean, actually, I don't know why statistics was invented, but I know that they, there's a lot of statistics that's specifically for subjects in the humanities. Like, it's important. It's, it's like you need to have a way to process data. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I just don't understand the question. Me, neither do I. All right. Uh, here we got from the audience, what makes metal... Conduct heat. What makes metal conduct? Conduct heat. Conduct heat. I was like, the conduct is like the noun here, and it's uh, okay, and it's made of metal. What makes metal conduct heat? Yeah, that's a good question. So, what does what makes metal conduct heat? So, 
Yeah, so one thing that you can observe is that metal um, is a better conductor than other things, like for example, wood is like less efficient at conducting heat. Um, and then why does that happen? Um, it's probably something to do with metal. Metals have a lot of, um, their atoms that are set in a matrix, they have a lot of free electrons. And the free, the electrons are free to move through the, you know, through the metal sort of at will. And that has something to do with it? I don't know. It's a good question. Hmm. And uh, the questioner goes on, if I can have a second question, wow, the entitlement from you. No. <laughs> We, we need more questions, actually. This is the last question we've got. All right, good. I hope it's, I hope it's good. What makes dark colors attract heat and lighter colors have the light bounce off? Um, yeah, so this is a good. So this is something to do. Uh, yeah, so let me just explain, like, why when you view something that's red, like, why is it red? Or when you view something that's white, why does it appear white to your eyes? Um, and it's because the light... You know, light, say, that's from the sun or something, is, contains all colors. Um, and a red rose just reflects um, red light and absorbs other colors. Um, and that's why it appears red to your eye. So, I don't know, in terms of, like, why would a surface get warm? Um, it's because it's absor absorbing a lot of photons or a lot of heat um, and then re-radiating it. Um, and that can be color-dependent. Um, so black seems like, what, it's not... Reflecting much light at all. In other words, it's absorbing a lot of light, so that'll cause it to, that surface to heat up. Yeah. So don't wear a black shirt in the hot summer sun. Okay. But you can definitely wear it in the winter when you're hoping to catch as much sun as. Oh, what about a zebra? <laughs> they are uh, very, very uh, conflicted. They're stripy, but like, why? Um, I think the reason why they have stripes, or one of one of the reasons, is that. It's a, a way to move heat across a, a the body. So if you have, you know, uh, stripes, one black and one white, that uh, it'll create currents because the black um, absorbs heat in a different way than the white. And maybe that helps the zebra to stay cool or I don't know. Hmm. We should wear uh, we should wear black and white stripes more, shouldn't we all? Like, isn't, wouldn't that be good for that can, circulation? Yeah, it might be. Probably what I said is complete pseudoscience, so oh, look it up. Well, then we shouldn't. <laughs> Look it up for sure. Okay, one other question here uh, from the audience. If everything is moving away from us, yeah. will there be a moment where our planet or solar system will be the only thing we can observe because everything else would be too far away? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so the answer is that it, it, this motion, um, the idea that things are moving apart, applies on the galactic, like the level of galaxies, right? So in our galaxy, we're gravitationally bound. Right. And so you should be worried about the opposite problem, that eventually everything's going to, in our galaxy, will, I don't know, could, could collapse. Or um, Actually, there's other galaxies that are gravitationally bound that are going to collide with ours. Uh, don't be too afraid. What happens when galaxies collide is like kind of a whole bunch of nothing. And that, like, there's lots of space between stars. And so it's not like actual stars will collide or something like that. But, you know, it'll, it'll stir up things gravitationally. Yeah. Um, but it's, the idea is that galaxies are the things that are moving away from each other. Um, and so, yeah, the distance between galaxies is going to get larger and larger and larger. And we'll become lonelier and lonelier and lonelier. Strap in. Yeah, do you think it's possible, uh, this is my question, that like, if you like, if you were to shrink and shrink and shrink like in one of those old kids' books, 
like you, where you like honey I shrunk the kids yeah, okay. times a, a million you're really really small that there's like a whole nother world down there and like you're among other things that are that small like ants and stuff no I'm way smaller <laughs> way smaller they're riding ants oh. in honey I shrunk the kids oh is you, you mean like on the level of, of an electron maybe or something yeah um well that would be cool and I often think about not not getting smaller and smaller and what that would be like but that would be interesting but what if we were if we were really big and could move really fast um you know all these things that we have to study in school to get a, an idea of like general relativity and how does it work that would just be like another that would be second nature to us it's the same way that i know if i turn the car this way i i go that way it's like oh yeah i know time slows down and i when i run over to my friend's house it would just be part of our everyday lives i think that would be really cool um, is it possible that maybe this whole universe, as big as it is, is actually like the electron of a bigger universe, you think? Um, is that an arbitrary uh, proposition that should not be given the time of day? Yeah, it sounds arbitrary to me, but, uh, I mean, you can, yeah, it's, it's part, I mean, I, I take it as like part of your sense of wonder, right? Like your yeah. imagination is, could there, like, what is, what are, what are we and what's the limits of that? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> I think we have a pretty good handle on the way things work. Mm -hmm. um, we are out of questions, and we are basically out of time. Cool. Um, in the regular chat, we've got Enric saying, Zebras have stripes so lions can recognize them. <laughs> <laughs> that got a laugh. So why would zebras evolve to be easily recognized by lions? Are they like friends or something? Because they really want to be eaten. Yeah. It's like the criminal that just really wants to be caught. Wow. You know? Guilt. <laughs> yeah. Eat me. No, don't eat me. Yes, eat me. All right. Um, well, we don't have any other questions. Um, okay, here's my question. Why do you suppose so many of the questions have been about quantum mechanics? Uh, I. That struck me as totally odd. Like when I asked the, this, I do this in um, the first day of my astronomy 100 class. I say, okay, I know you're going to have a ton of questions. Write your question on an, on a piece of paper and we'll answer it as the semester goes by. There's like maybe one, one question about quantum mechanics, but they're all like, what's a black hole? What's, have you heard of a white hole? What would that be? Um, lots of questions like that. Like if you, are the aliens real and that, that sort of stuff. Um, so it's probably because this is an objectivist audience that must be what they're interested in. Yeah, like they want to know, is this, um, is this point of seeming contention um, between objectivism and science or, or modern science, whatever, is there something here to, to answer? Are we going to get the answer today? And the answer is no. Sorry. But, uh, but like I said earlier, like not every objectivist needs to have the answer to everything, right? So uh, people who... People who have a specialized um, area of study will be able to apply the objectivist method to understanding what is quantum mechanics and to understanding what is string theory and to understanding whatever else they're focused on. And that's what the division of labor is all about. All right. Uh, any other questions from the audience before we call it a wrap? Raise your hand. Okay. Yes, oh, sir. Yeah. You, sir. Yes, the Bahamian, the Bahamian look, uh, gentleman. Yes. Or nearest star, if you travel at the speed of light, yeah. So using present technology, yeah. the fastest we have now, how long would it take us to get there from the future? <laughs> oh my, 
how long would it take us to get there or their present? I don't know. You have to calculate it out. But it would be um, millions, billions of years, a really long time. The distance between things is very, 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 very large. Weren't you going to ask about Elon Musk or something? I think it's awesome. I love Elon Musk. I think he's the coolest, he's one of the coolest guys ever because he puts stuff into space. <laughs> um, yeah, and in fact, we did an entire episode about how much Amanda loves Elon Musk. So the fact that you would have the audacity to ask that question today, I'm joking. Thank you for that question. Um, I think we're ready to call it a wrap. Thank, get, let me, okay, first clap, okay. And then let me just say what an honor and a very interesting and unusual and very cool experience this week has been. Uh, would you agree? It's been yeah, it's been surreal to be in here live in person. I mean, yesterday, I yesterday I sat in a Lutheran church in London. That this church is probably older than anything in the United States. Uh, sitting there in a house of God, interviewing a, an actual member of the House of Lords about God knows what we talked about. I mean, what is Life is absolutely fascinating. It is. Um, and uh, in this day and age, and this is going to come up this Monday, so make sure you're in town this Monday. Uh, my reunion discussion with Carl Benjamin, Sargon of Akkad. I'm going to mention to him, oh, you, don't, you must not get to discuss philosophy very often these days. It's true. These days it's all about COVID and, uh, and voter count, right? It's not a whole lot of uh, questions about the deep stuff, so... This is one of the few places uh, these things can be discussed, and I'm honored to be included. Thank you, Rozzy, for a wonderful week, and uh, thank you all for participating and supporting this organization. And with that, stay tuned. Now, coming up next, we've got Ankar Gatte and Aaron Smith discussing the moral case against altruism. Believe me, you need to hear this stuff, as do I. All right, everybody, uh, thank you. No daily objective tomorrow because Ayn Rand Khan is in town. Uh, until next time, thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Raga. And <laughs> goodbye. goodbye.